Hello and welcome to the Big Four O, episode forty of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Jane Jazrawi, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, and with me, as always, Mark Morell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. Do you also, feel old or yes. young? Because we're we're past forty. Big Four O. <laughs> yes, my instinct is to think, oh, Big Four O, that's scary. But then I'm like, wait a minute, that was a while ago. Yep, we're um, elderly now. And it wasn't really good times because that was during our dark times. But yeah, I was much younger then. You were. And there was more black in your hair. Yes. That was about the only thing that was sort of better for me then. I'm fitter now than I was. That's true. I'm certainly less stressed. but Also true. Yes. But I sacrificed all the color in my hair. <laughs> you know what? I think for uh, less stress and more gray, I, I can handle that. It's not a bad trade-off. No. No. Yeah. But anyway, what are we talking about today? Yeah, I really should have put something together for this, I guess. Well, I have two things that have occurred to me to talk about, and we'll see where we go from there. Because even though I may have some ideas, who knows where it's going to go? Okay. These may set you off on a completely different tangent. So item number one, Weights and Dimensions is finally finished. You said it would be done by by the time we next did a podcast. That was and what I you was said on the last podcast, and you were correct. I am correct. So we have to have some sort of discussion and acknowledgement of that, although we've talked about it to death. So this may be sufficient. Second is that we are in the middle of interviews. We are two thirds of the way through the, the best fleets interviews period for the best fleets to drive for program, and the final third, which is the craziest part of it, is about to start. So that's what I've got to talk about. And we are in the middle of American Thanksgiving, so mm-hmm. it is a little bit quiet around here. Yes, it is the two days right in the middle of the crazy period where things quiet down a little bit and we can do some other things. It's really funny how we, and it happens every year where we realize that Americans don't understand Canadian Thanksgiving at all. No. Which I always find really funny, but kind of makes sense because we don't really talk a lot. Like Canadian Thanksgiving, it's a it's a holiday, but it's not as big as Christmas, the Christmas holidays and all of the related holidays. Those are Thanksgiving is like a long weekend, mm-hmm. but for Americans, it's a much bigger deal. And their whole Black Friday stuff and all of that, like all of the things around Thanksgiving that they have, we've kind of appropriated. So... It's very confusing, I think, if you're an American going, well, how you have Black Friday sales. Don't you have Thanksgiving? So it's, I can I see. I wonder if they're even aware that we have Black Friday sales. I don't think it even occurs to them that we would or wouldn't. They probably, yeah. I think a lot of people probably assume that whatever happens in your own country happens everywhere. Yeah. So you go to England and where Halloween isn't a big thing. Right. It's Guy Fox Day and where, which is a whole other story about some parliamentarian who was, oh, no, someone was going to blow up parliament and then they burn him in effigy forever after. <laughs> it's so it's so weird. <laughs> it's weird. And I don't know if it's a holiday, but it's a celebration. But anyway, they've, they've started appropriating Halloween in England just because, you know, who doesn't like candy? Yeah. But there are different, and because I've lived in different places and different countries, I know that it's so different where you're used to your own holidays and your own traditions in your own country, you go to another place. Like, for example, when we, when we both lived in the Middle East, weekends are on Thursday and Friday. 
Mm-hmm. So you have this whole thing where you're so used to Saturday and Sunday being those days that you have off that Thursday and Fridays at first you're like, what? Yeah. And then you kind of get used to it. Yeah, Thursday's the weekend and Saturday is the beginning of the work week. Yeah. So Friday is, is prayer day. And so that's, uh, yeah. And also that whole like sort of time shifting because they don't, I don't know if it happens so much in where I was, but I know in other parts of the world where they'll just take two hours off in the afternoon because it's too hot. Yeah, Dubai was like that. All the businesses were closed from one to four. And, I think I knew that. And banks, I don't think, opened again. They were open from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. and that was it. Yeah. So it's a whole different, when you go to another country, it's a whole different kettle of fish most of the time. I think with Canada and the United States, because we're so close culturally or not culturally, but we, uh, you know, for the majority of the the uh, population who sort of settled here, the white British Protestants that, you know, we all kind of have that shared thing across North America. So when other people come in, they kind of integrate into that and it's not that big a deal. But when you go outside of that. It's, it's a little shocking. Mm-hmm. So, and I was actually talking to someone this morning about the whole poppy thing, about the whole issue with Don Cherry and the poppy and, and traditions. And, you know, what do you, I got asked, what do you think about that? And what I actually think is that probably a lot of people who are new to this country probably don't even know the importance of poppies. Or what's happening? They probably Why have, anybody's even wearing them? They probably have no idea. And you see them at the, you know, at cash registers and things like that. And people selling them, you know, in the, in grocery store entrances and things like that. But if you don't know, if you haven't been to public school in North America, or even, I think Canada mostly, yeah. you don't know. It's not like anybody outside of school has ever talked about it. No. And you would have to, you would have to know. So what I came back with was that, is it part of the citizenship? Yeah, good question. Like, how would people know about remember? Like, they may know about Remembrance Day, but do they know that poppies, what the poppy is there for? And because I know when you go to another country, you have no idea what their traditions are. Yeah. And it seems very odd when you find out about, you know, Thursday and Friday or or the weekend and it's because of all of these different things and you know during Eid or Ramadan you you know the mosques will start like there would be a lot of activity and you don't know why and it's kind of like this oh this mysterious like what's going on I can totally see people coming into this country not knowing because they weren't taught mm-hmm. so it's uh that was that was my response to that is I wonder how much of that is we just grew up with it so we think it's normal well, it's interesting that you say that because I am reminded of when I went to Australia, I had, I guess, the fortune or misfortune, uh, depending on how you look at it, of arriving on the day of the Melbourne Cup. And the Melbourne Cup in Australia is like the Super Bowl here. It just happens in the middle of the week, but it is crazy. Is it rugby? Uh, no, it's a horse race. Oh. Wait, I think it's a horse race. Or I maybe I'm I have to look it that wrong, up. But I do remember everyone talking about Melbourne Cup and like nobody was in the office. Nobody was working. 
you know, it's holiday schedule, even mm-hmm. though it's middle of the week, sort of holiday schedule um, for a lot of transit and retail shops and everybody's asking about it. Are you going to, are you going to watch it? Where are you going to watch it? What are you doing? It's like this huge event. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just arrived here my first time on this continent, just had a 20 hour flight getting here. I don't know what this Melbourne cup is. And also we're in Sydney. We're not in Melbourne. (laughs) Why is it a big deal? And then afterwards I found out that it's, yeah, it's a huge issue. It's like their Super Bowl and everybody's prepping for it and they're dressed up and uh, parties. Yeah. And I had no idea. So I'm trying to think if there's another example of that where it's just completely different. Um, the whole Boxing Day thing is oh, yeah. is different from here than in the States. And Boxing Day, you have it in England as well. So that's, you know. Now, it's funny. I saw on, it was a US TV station, there was some, I f- saw somebody make a reference to Boxing Day the first time, which I, I'd never heard before. And it freaked me out because I hadn't heard anybody talk about it. But I think they're all realizing that, hey, here's an opportunity to do some sales. <laughs> hey, we've like, heard that there's Boxing Day sales. Much like all the Canadian retailers are jumping on Black uh, Friday. Yeah. All the American ones are starting to jump on Boxing Day. To make hey, that a thing. You know, it's sure. I, I will ignore it as I always do. I know some people get great deals. I just cannot. I cannot. Huh. I can't get excited about that either. No. <laughs> it's retail. Everything's always on sale at retail. Like you just call it a different thing. No, but there are really good deals if you want them. And if you want to save, you're looking for something and you want to save, then you can. So I can understand. It's just, I just have never yeah. had the energy to to really go out and take advantage of it. But anyway, so that's kind of, um, that actually kind of relates to uh, our jobs because because both of us have lived in and have have traveled to other countries and have spent a lot of time in in very different places than where we live now it is actually a little bit easier to to accept differences or a different way of thing looking at things or a different way of handling things so when we do the best fleets interviews it's kind of cool to learn about what happens in the US in terms of healthcare and um, 401ks and um, just how they deal with their laws that are different from our laws. And so things like um, the whole uh, um, nuclear verdict stuff and, oh, yeah. and, and catastrophes and natural disasters because they are getting more of them than we do. So it's a very interesting way of learning about other cultures. And also, if you are in Canada, then most of the information that you get is going to be coming from certain sources. So you kind of get another look or you get another source of information from, from talking to people in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And um, as we go into the final stretch for the interviews, um, what sort of things have you been finding? Anything interesting jumping out at you and some of those new questions or some of the older questions? Not anything particularly interesting. However, because we have other people helping us with the interviews this year, a lot of the people that I'm interviewing are new. Mm. So I haven't really seen tons of it. There's been, um, there's a couple of things. Um, I was talking to a company that um, 
works with, uh, you know, is trying to have more Aboriginal uh, drivers coming from, and they have a, a a terminal in North Bay, and they kind of partnered with some social services up there, whom they want to try and attract people from there, and trying to, you know, bring in new new voices. Hmm. So that was kind of interesting. Um, have you heard anything? Um, well, you mentioned before the issue about natural disasters, and we've got a new question this year mm-hmm. asking people how they plan for that and, and work around them. And I think I've done, I don't even know, I've done enough interviews that I don't know how many I've done, and I I look at the ones that I've done and I have no recollection of doing them. <laughs> so, which happens every year as you get into you get into that middle third or so of the interviews, you don't remember any of them. But I do know that I'm seeing some interesting responses to that question about handling natural disasters and um, is very regionally focused, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. The companies that I've interviewed that are kind of in the southeast or in areas that are sort of prone for it definitely have pretty robust plans. Um I've got some people that I've interviewed that haven't really done much at all except really have a plan to make sure their drivers are okay and um, kind of route around issues, make sure drivers get out of the way when there's something coming, that kind of thing. Um, And I was very interested in seeing one that actually wasn't in an area that has any real risk uh, of natural disasters and really I don't think has drivers going into natural disaster areas or places that are at risk for that, but they have a pandemic response plan, which I oh, thought that's was right. very cool. Actually, so, I talked to somebody who had a who had something like that because of SARS. Remember? That was probably the same company. Um, oh, hang on. Because I think you were on that interview. I did the review in advance, and I think oh, you were on the Oh, and then I interview. did the... But I thought that was really cool. And I haven't come across very many of those. It's like recognizing, hey, what happens if 30% of our staff is out with a bad flu? How do we keep the business Yeah, yeah. That's really smart. And SARS was crazy. It was was crazy at that point in time. Yeah. Where you couldn't really, I mean, you couldn't go to the doctor and have a cough. Like that was, you were with a mask. That was, and it really... In a lot of places, you still, if you have a cold, you have to wear a mask. Yep. And that started with SARS, which was, I can't remember what SARS stands for, but it's like a really nasty bug. Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Yeah. But it was a it was a virus, I believe. Well, all of us in Canada remember it. Um, I remember yeah. it happening. I don't remember the exact, what the actual illness is, but it was, it was very severe and you could have it and not be in danger, but... If you were uh, had any vulnerability, then you could basically die. So it yeah, was those it was of us nasty. in Canada remember it because it was pretty intense for a while when it was happening. Yeah, I remember the company I was working at at the time that had it was a Canadian based company, but had uh, consultants that worked all around the world, and Asia Pacific was a big growth area for them, and um, that's where SARS started. So they had all their Asia Pacific people were grounded. All of the Canadian consultants got sent home. No customers wanted people coming on site. Oh, that's it was, right. It was a real nightmare for the travel industry. It was uh, yep. terrible for anybody that was doing sort of international consulting work at the time. And it uh, it really, for about three months, had a huge impact on the business because 
nobody wanted the Canadian consultants coming on site or the Asia Pacific consultants coming on site. So all of these people from uh, Japan, um, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, all of those consultants couldn't work. And as far as um, as far as now, I think that everybody, not everybody, um, the uh, like World Health Organization and different studies are showing that pandemic is basically right around the corner. That this is yeah. not, you know, it could happen, but you know, but we've been pretty lucky. So the flu, just even the flu, they're saying the flu is re- going to be really bad this year, mm-hmm. and that's a that's something that could just decimate your com- company if if it happens. Yeah, positive, positive story. Yeah, so you we brought like that egg. <laughs> Uh, So here's something else that's kind of worth discussing is what we're seeing in early, um, I don't want to say early results, but the early data around uh, driver counts and compensation. Uh, I'm definitely seeing it going down, Uh, certainly not going up. Um, I'm seeing driver income kind of staying flat, but the miles going up or they're maybe moving together. But a year ago, was really, we were talking a lot about everybody giving big raises to the driver Mm -hmm. and everybody was like, oh, the raises and everything. So it was really surprising when we looked at our data and we didn't see very much of an increase at all because we look at a whole year worth of data and a lot of these raises had only come into effect a couple of months earlier. Well, here we are now a year later and we're looking at it and those rates increases they've kept the rate for the drivers but the miles are down or the rates have had to drop anybody that's on percentages dropped because the rates are going down big shift in a year i'm not seeing very much of anything except sort of stay the course it's not going up it's not going down it's just kind of just staying the same well that's i'm seeing either stay the course or down nobody going up nobody talking about Well, that's kind of what everybody in the industry is talking about right now we mm-hmm. kind of thought that um, last year we were thinking that this wasn't going, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be gangbusters into 2020. Yeah. We I mean, were they right. were, yeah, we were right. Cause, because the um, ATA, the economists were saying that, no, 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 it's going to be fine until mid, mid 2020. And then we might see a slowdown. And I think up until the time when they started saying, no, 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 this isn't a really a slowdown. You can't say that. This is just a dip. It'll be fine. It's just getting back to yeah, normal. It's just, it's yeah, it's just normalizing. And, you know, now that's been getting more and more high-pitched. Oh, really? No, it's, it's, it's pretty it's good. It's okay. I think that people are realizing that, no, I think the R word is a, <laughs> is a, is a definite possibility. Freight Waves has been banging that drum since the summer. I think they were looking at the same things that we were looking at. It wasn't making sense that everything was going to be... Yeah. Fine and dandy. It's so. great for a year, but it's not going to last that much longer. And we're very pessimistic that way. We're always going to look at the worst case scenario just because that's how we are. Mm-hmm. Very pessimistic. We're planning. That's right. We're realists. <laughs> no, we've had bad times, so we're not we're not so uh, incited to to get back there. But um, looking at the other things that are going on, it's really nice to see that people are, are trying to engage mm-hmm. their, their workforce a lot more. There's a lot more of that that I see. Um, the, the other new question that we have, the, you know, how do you, how do you uh, 
help drivers with personal security. That's been a really interesting one. Nobody knows what to do. No one knows what to do with that because no one knows. Well, people don't have personal security programs. Like, that's not a thing. They should be. We explained that when we were doing the webinar. Yeah, but people don't have them, so they don't. Yeah. So they're sort of, they're, I think people are talking about the things that they do to help their drivers stay safe. So there are a couple of things, you know, some drivers are, some companies are in giving them some guidelines and orientation. Um, you know, here's how you park. Um, here's how you, you know, make sure that you're doing X, Y, and Z. There are, uh, especially for women, the whole pet policy is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Having having the ability to bring a big dog with you is always a good personal security benefit. But not, there really isn't any programs that people are doing. Actually, wasn't there was one company who had the whole security thing about a... Um, Armed intruders or, um, or yeah, I've seen a people, active shooters. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was certainly some of those. But uh, yeah, I'm seeing the same thing. I'm seeing a lot of people who don't know what to make of the question, who answered in the context of on-road safety, sort of um, role stability and lane keeping and all of that kind of safe driving stuff. And really the question is about how do you keep drivers safe when the truck stops? Or, yeah, I I mean, in terms of cargo theft, nobody has mentioned cargo theft. Nobody has, yeah, yeah, like there's there's trailer tracking. I've talked to one or two that have got something that they actually do in that area that is uh, personal security training. Um, Some people that have hotlines, those kind of things for reporting. But in terms of preventive or proactive things, not really seeing very much. Which I, I think we kind of expected. I mean, part of the reason we asked this question because that w- it was coming out of that session that you attended at the Mid America show, talking about personal security. The on one the road. that was done through Women in Trucking. Yeah, yeah. They had a really good idea for a session, and as has happened in the past, when people have good ideas for different things, we steal them and turn them into questions in our. Like we stole them. It was just, hey, that's this is an issue. So we reflect current best practices. Yeah, how's that? But it's a good. I I mean, you know, how do you how do you keep people safe on the road? Which is going to become more and more of an issue, I think. Yes. As more and more women enter the industry, and as drivers, that is going to become. uh, It's going to be become an issue for recruitment and retention because if you don't feel safe on your routes. Why would you want to work for that company? Like that's well, that's not a nice yeah. way to be, not a nice work life. And it's not just women. That, that's certainly probably the largest group. But uh, I would say there are a lot of other groups that are going to be concerned about their own personal security when they go on the road. As you bring in more uh, minorities, we're seeing, we've talked about this already, we're seeing an increase in the number of people talking about transgender drivers. Mm-hmm. So that's a group that absolutely needs to be aware of security and companies need to take care of them. So what are they doing? Well, it's not even be aware of security It's just constantly on the constantly on the watch. And I think you and I have talked before about the whole idea of walking through a dark parking lot and the, the intense anxiety that you can get if you think that something is going to happen to you and what women do, like women have all kinds of things that they do to try and 
trying to make themselves feel better. And that whole idea of, you know, if somebody is walking behind you, is that a threat or are they just walking behind you? You're constantly aware of the threats around you. And when you're going to all of these different places and locations where it's not necessarily not necessarily familiar, it can be really anxiety um, producing. And if you are someone who is smaller, even somebody who is a six foot tall, burly, you know, 260 pound, well-muscled white male, you can still be shot by a gun. So if somebody wants to steal your cargo, you can still be tied up in the back and basically have all your stuff taken you know, these things happen. So the security of your cargo, because cargo theft is like right now. problem. Yeah. And right now it's all over the place. Thanksgiving weekend is a huge time for cargo theft because we've seen um, news reports in the media saying, you know, be careful because this is the big time for it. And Christmas is the same. So it is for everyone. But I think my point is that there are certain groups, transgender individuals, women, um, new people who are new to the country, who are immigrants and who look different than what mm-hmm. people are normally used to. All of those people are targets. And we all know that we're targets. We've been aware that we're targets for a very long time. And it's just how much of a target do you want to make yourself and how much is the company helping decrease that, that level of anxiety? So do you get, you know, do dispatchers sort of take extra care? Do, are there, a, a, a is the scheduling and routing done in a way that makes it easy for you to stay safe? Yeah. Do you have parking? Like how easy is it for you to park? Can you park at shippers? Can you park at customer locations? Is parking paid when there's do you have to park on the side of the road do you have to um you know when are you doing your routes are you forced to drive at a certain time of the day where it may be less safe or you know when you what do you have in the truck that's technology focused that will help you so can you hit a button and have something have an alert go to dispatch yeah. You know, do you have in cab cameras? Can you turn cameras on if you're feeling threatened? I think that was one thing that we were talking I was talking about with one company and I can't remember who they were. But they were talking about ca- having the cameras as a security thing and I said and I was like, "Hey, you know what? If I had in cab cameras, then I'd be using them when I'm at a truck stop. Mm-hmm. Like I'd have them on so that if anybody yeah. did anything to me, then that would be captured." Yeah. For sure. So you'd have at least somebody might know you'd get them on camera. But um, the whole truckers against trafficking thing that has started or that it's coming into Canada as well. I think that they're they're a really great way to sort of wade into this area because it teaches you to be aware of your surroundings, not so much for yourself, but for other people, too, which I think is really valuable. Yeah. Because security isn't just about your own security, but if you are all in a parking lot, then each other's security can be, you know, you can hopefully be, I don't know how that would work, but, you know, especially if you're seeing other trucks that of the same company that you're working for, then that would be a bonus. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So 
already we're starting to see some interesting data and we haven't even got to the point where we've collected it all yet, but, uh, it's shaping up to be another, another fascinating year with lots of new things uncovered. Okay. And we have taken advantage of the quiet time during Thanksgiving to work on an updated website. Yeah. It's my favorite job in the world. Yeah. Jane always gripes about it and then actually enjoys doing all of the image work and then complains about it again when it's finished. (laughs) I don't like doing websites. It is not my strong point and we need to hire someone to do it. So where I can just say, do this, this, and this, and this, and I don't have to do it. And we're getting to the point where I am going to be able to, I would say in the next year. Yeah. We're getting to the point where we need a full-time person doing that. We just need to find the time to hire. Yeah. I just have the ability to do it. It doesn't mean that I am the best person to do it. And it's coming from our entrepreneurial, you know, well, just do it because it needs to be done. Just do it. And you're the least worst at it. So, hey, I don't think I don't think my qualifications are least worst. I well, think I'm not company, bad. Are, you are the least worst <laughs> at it. Everybody else is worse than you, so you get to do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, there are some real problems with the Best Pleats website. It, it, there's just some such glaring yeah, things that drive me crazy. That I look at that site now and I think, what was I thinking? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to go into it because I don't want people to be reminded of how horrible it is. <laughs> They, we just barely get suffice to say information. that we are aware. We, we are aware. aware of we the are very aware and fixing them. So, but I and I think I just had a like it was like okay, can we just like, weights and dimensions is done? Can we just fix yeah. this site now? Yeah, because oh, I was I was explaining to one of my staff a couple of days ago that Best Fleets ends up being sort of the the third stepchild of our systems because we're working, we're doing a lot of work on our main LMS system. We're doing a lot of work on the course development system that we use internally and best fleets kind of is like, well, it's still working. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) We meant to do something on that. And well, and we actually spend more time working on the questionnaire process and that whole, the whole scheduling interviews and like Everything that the best ways participants see, mm-hmm. we are we have done m- way more work on that than we have done on either the website or on our own tools. Our own tools are pretty, you know, like they're pretty minimal for yeah. that. They they provide the bare minimum functionality. I don't think that people realize that you can't buy a system to run a a best employer program. No. Those systems are, you, you, you build them. Yep. And well, if someone is making them, I would like to have them, but we'd have to have one that's for trucking. So, yeah. So we, no, I think we've got the core there. We definitely need to make some changes and update some things and uh, we will get to that. But we are, yeah, for now fixing the public website. Uh, and I think you've got, some great ideas and what's different um, with this one is that we're actually going to start having pictures up there. We have so many pictures that people send us of all of the awesome things they're yeah. doing. And, and some of it is people showing off their best fleets winner status with t-shirts and truck decals and things like that. And that's awesome. So we're going to have some of those. Some of them are pictures that are taken at the convention and through the award presentation, which is, is cool as well. 
But there's also pictures that people send us of just all of the cool things that they're doing that make them best fleets. Mm -hmm. All of the cool programs they have, things they do with their drivers as a group. Um, And and there's so much of that um, that we want to try and and share it and have that part of the, the website so that we can celebrate the community a little bit more. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how all of that comes together. I like the pictures you've done so far. I think it's going to be great when it's done. One of the things that we didn't do early on. So when I'm, one of the things that we talked about was, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll just on the website, we'll put all the award pictures. And I was thinking we can't do that because the award is not about the award. The award is about the process. So we should be, and that's where it's about the community and sharing and yeah, I mean things that people are doing. It's not just the leader of the company getting on stage and getting an award, which is great, but it's also the sharing of ideas and having that family um, feeling. <laughs> I can't believe I said that a family feeling, but we treat them the, like family. Yeah, but we have a community that understands what we're trying to do and is actually, you know, taking ideas and running with them, and we wanted to really show that and have show pictures of drivers who are embracing that you know they don't it's they understand that when they do the driver surveys and participate in this program that they are supporting their company Mm -hmm. so i wanted to make sure that there were pictures of that um as well and we didn't collect pictures in the early years so i've been having some trouble finding pictures from the early years because i didn't go to the convention um and you well, there was barely any representation of the convention. Yeah, and you didn't take very many pictures anyway. Um, and then for the first two or three years, and I never really asked for pictures. I didn't start asking for pictures until someone offered to send them to me because mm-hmm. it never occurred to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we could. Because we say that we don't really need to see anything because we can tell from your answers what the um, feeling is like and, and all of that stuff. And it's true. We can. We, we get a really good sense of what a company is like, what their culture is like from the variety of answers to the questions that we get. And the scoring, it, it works. And I don't think that we have been stupidly wrong in in how the top 20 has worked over the years. However, pictures really add it's crazy how much pictures it's not that they change i don't think that a picture is going to make you put you in the top 20 as opposed to not be in the top 20 but it enriches the experience for sure yeah and now we've started making that part of the normal data collection where we say if you've got any pictures we're happy to have them and we create a shared folder where people can upload them some people send one or two some people send like 50 every year Um, but yeah, it does, it doesn't so much give us information that we don't have already or that we're not getting, but it gives us a different context for that. And I think there are occasions actually where the picture is kind of like the interview where part of the reason we do the interview is that as we read the written answers in the questionnaire, we get a sense of it, but sometimes there's a little bit of a a couple of words about something or a little bit of a hint. And sometimes when we're talking about that in the interview, it leads into a whole other area of discussion about what the company is doing. And much of the time, um, well, it's, it's, I guess, two things that happen out of that. Sometimes 
it turns out the company's doing a whole bunch of great things so they just really didn't tell us because they don't think it's that special but when we find out about it it's really uncommon the second thing is that sometimes it leads into an area that opens up a whole other category for us of questions to start evaluating later Mm -hmm. so i find pictures are kind of the same thing a lot of cases it gives us context for it and there are certainly times where we look at the picture and go, ooh, you really shouldn't have sent us that because it's not helping. But there are plenty of times when we get a picture and it's like, oh, I can see what you're doing now. I can see everybody sort of working together. And it can sometimes open up a new category of ideas for us to explore with people. When we see something in the corner, we're like, hey, what is that? And it turns out that it's something really cool that we hadn't really thought about uh, or it's something that hasn't been evaluated in the past and we can start looking into that with other companies. So I I am always eager to see the pictures. Well, yeah. And the the trucks themselves, we often get pictures of trucks and just Mm -hmm. what people are doing with their trucks is usually indicative of like people will say that they don't have a military program. And then I'll see pictures of the amazing Reese across America stuff that they're doing and the huge trailer wraps and, and they give decals to their their veterans based on the the uh, whether you're in the army or in the navy or the you know all of that stuff, and or they'll do some amazing like breast cancer wraps, or mm-hmm. they'll have um, other thing or uh, the wall that heals, or so you're like oh wait a minute that'll count. Mm-hmm. Or um, if they say that they don't have um, any sort of uh, programs for bringing in women or uh, visible minorities and that kind of thing, but they'll have their breast cancer truck that's, you know, Or then pink. you look at a picture of their staff and it's 50% visible minorities. Yeah, and they don't. But, but on that note, people don't know, sometimes don't know how it happened. Right. And one of the things that is the challenge when you are doing these kinds of programs is trying to figure out what happened. So if you're just happen to be nice people, like how do we get the people that we get? You know, we had a, we've gone through our own employee survey and our employees are pretty happy. And our, the HR consultant that we hired was quite impressed with that. Um, We also have a really good net promoter score and, I'm not, I think we could explain why, because there's a lot of things that we do on purpose, but the people who we bring in, who we attract, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure that. Now you have kind of opened a can of worms on your own because yeah, if you ask a lot of the top 20, why they're on the top 20, they often don't have the right answer, which seems kind of weird. Their answer is often something that I'll hear and say, no, that's not why you're on the list. <laughs> so when I'm doing speeches with them, I'll say, here are the things that I want you to talk about. Here yeah. are the things that you're doing that nobody else is doing yeah. that you should talk about. And now you've got me wondering if we're in the same boat because... I totally think we're in the same boat because uh, I think that no matter how great, like it doesn't matter when you are internally focused, you can't see, you can't see yeah. the show. So we have happy employees and we have a good net promoter score with our customers and we can look at it and say, wow, we do it. It's because of this and this and this. We may be totally wrong. We could be. And no, if I'm we went through our, that. 
Why? Well, because I don't know what we're doing. We may be doing. No, I think that we are doing what we are doing to help with that is we have engaged consultants to tell us to give us that feedback and to sort of qualify it, which I think that the people who are in the top 20 do is they talk to external sources. They get some they hire staff to that have certain expertise to try and 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 strengthen parts of their company that need some boosting and they have plans but i think that it's like a book right? or a movie is a better example you go in and you make this movie and you are really really careful about all of the different pieces and, and it wins an academy award and then uh, a couple of years later it becomes a cult uh, a cult classic or is it, you have no like once you put it out there you really have very little control about how people experience it all you can do after you put it out there now for a company, because you can always change your company, is that you can get feedback and implement changes based on that feedback, which is what we tell people to do. But sometimes there is a part of that where you can't control how people feel about you. There are just things that turn people off, things that turn people on. People will have a different experience than what you intend. And I think that's what's happening a little bit with the best fleets is that they're putting together so many things that is going to help with what the experience is, but you're never going to have everybody agree that even the, like, let's look at Bison, for example, someone is going to complain about Bison. Someone is going to complain about Carrier's Edge. Somebody is going to not like it at a top 20 company hmm. or Grand Island. It's like the, to- the people who have won three times. You can't, there's only so much you can do. You can't make everybody happy and you can't control the experience for everyone. All you can do is try and make it better and fill the gaps and make sure that enough people are having a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. All you can do is put the pieces together, take the input that you get, try and put the pieces together in the best way possible and put it out there and see what happens. And most, the most important thing is get that input. Yeah. And realize that your company is not static, that it is, you know, just because you did something the same way for a million years doesn't mean you can't change that. Yeah, you have to look at the company as kind of an organic entity. Like we talk about it being almost a, another child and you, mm-hmm. you know, the child is in the teenage years now. Um but, um, yeah, you have to look at it as something that is growing and living, but also something that is a creation unto itself so that ultimately it kind of runs on its own and continues following the right uh, principles and I don't want to say core values, but continues operating in the way it was intended to um, long after you're gone down the road for a while. I think core values is a good it's become such a cliche. I don't like using it, but it is sort of, I guess the 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 key the guiding principles or the uh, the organizing Our structure. S- the smack, the thing that we sure. we have. Uh, what does what does that stand Specific, for again? Methodical and consistent statements that you follow. Yeah, and yeah. I think that all the top twenty has a smack. Yeah, the personality of the company. Yeah. And I think we have a personality that we're not going to deviate from. What we're going to say is, you know, this is the way we do things. If you don't like them, you probably shouldn't work here. And I think if you are self-aware 
as a company, I think that will actually help you. The people who want, because we say in our advertisements, if you're looking for a fun, high-tech company with foosball games, go away because you're not getting them here. Yeah, you'll hate you us. Know, yeah, it's just, you know, we, we like, you have to like the work and you have to like doing it. And, you know, otherwise you're going to fail. And it's the same thing if you, um, for a driver, if you get a job and hope that the job isn't going to be what it's advertised, then you've probably chosen the wrong job. Like yeah. if you decide that you don't want to run into the Northeast, but you apply for a job where the only positions are running into the Northeast, well, you're going to get what you get. Like you, yeah. you can't all of a sudden go in and say, well, I really wanted Ohio. But then at the same time, if the company is advertising no Northeast, you can't start sending people into the Northeast. Exactly. Exactly. So, so it goes both ways. Yeah. Well, I think that people have to, uh, I think companies have to do a lot of work. And I think they are, trucking companies are doing a lot of work on trying to figure out how to best succeed. What are the ingredients that are going to help people succeed in a driving job? So if you're a new person, how are you going to succeed? Like, what what does that look like? If you've been driving for 30 years, what does that look like? So that is, that's an important part. But I think drivers, on the other hand, have to understand how to, to find a good job. So, and and going to the best fleets is a, is a good way to start. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But you also have to do your homework. Yeah. And that's something that I've always found to be a real gap in the industry is that drivers are not educated anywhere on how to find a job. They're conditioned to just chase rate per mile and they don't know how to find a job that's a good fit for them. And the industry kind of um, perpetuates the problem by competing on price all the time. So the competing on price. Yeah. You know, you go to these shows and all you hear from drivers is how much can you make here? What are you paying? which is the last question to ask, not the first one. Well, it depends on how much you need the money. I mean, if it, you're desperate and you want need to make a lot of money or not make a lot of money, but you want to get the most that you can, that is going to be at the top of top of your mind. But yeah, I agree. But understand that that company is paying you a lot because it's crap work. Great companies that have a great environment and happy employees don't have to pay as much as people that are doing awful work with no perks. The best fleets that we see are never the top paying companies. They pay well, they pay fairly, but they're never the top paying. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the thing I'm quibbling with you about is there's a difference between they don't pay well and they pay fair, fairly. I'm not saying they don't pay well. I'm saying they're not the highest paying fleets. If all you do is go to a job fair or go to a show and go around saying how much do you pay? How much do you pay? How much can somebody make here? The one that is going to pay you the most is going to be the crappiest job, guaranteed. Actually, that brings to mind something that uh, someone told me in an interview about that was that they actually show people settlement checks with the names blanked out for privacy. But they basically say they show like real this the average. Mm -hmm. So this is not the highest amount you can make, but this is the average that you can make here. Yeah. And that's a good way of doing it. It's still the wrong conversation to have. Unfortunately, it's the conversation that people have been trained to have. Yeah. And it's really, really hard. It's like going, taking your weekend from Saturday and Sunday to Thursday and Friday. It's a big shift and you can't expect it to happen in, 
you know, a decade even. It's, it's a huge shift and people are used to doing it a certain way. They're not necessarily interested in changing it. Um, when you're used to something and you're used to the, the problems that come along with it, but you have systems of, uh, mitigating those problems, you know, the change is actually worse than the solution. Mm. I don't know if that came out properly, but changing it is, is less, um, it's kind of like ELDs, but the whole change is way more stressful. And once you get over that mountain, it's fine. Yeah, sometimes, but the mountain can seem really insurmountable. Yeah. And they don't realize the green valley that's on the other side of it. But also you have to convince an entire industry to move. Yeah. And that's, that's. I am starting to see a few people that have stopped advertising just on rates. And that really, to me, is the difference between the good companies and the crappy ones. Is if all they've got is a tiny ad that is just advertising rates, they're not going to be a good place to work. The, the problem is, how do you get drivers educated? There's no real venue to get that message out to drivers because there's fewer and fewer driver magazines and they're all funded by those same recruiting ads. So they're not Mm going to run my column telling them it's terrible. There's no conferences for drivers, even at the truck shows. They don't really do education sessions like that. They do at Mid-America. They do some, but again, they've got a ton of recruiting booths that would not be very happy if we started taking the piss out of the way they're recruiting. So, but they're also locked into whatever their company wants to do. It's Mm -hmm. hard to change processes. Like even with us, uh, when we, we're trying to make a change with our phone system and trying to change how we're doing meetings and that kind of thing. That's been, I don't think that's been smooth. It's, (laughs) and a lot of it is just, just finished a gigantic move from one data center to another that has been anything but smooth. Well, I'm talking about not so much the technology problems that come with a move. I'm, and I understand that's a whole other kettle of fish. I'm talking about the stress of, is it the right choice? Is it, are we doing the right thing? Getting everybody up to speed? Who needs to do what? The changes in process when you- What are we forgetting? Yeah. And that's, and that's stressful as well. So can you imagine if all of a sudden- someone is suggesting that we completely change how we pay people or how jobs are structured when, you know, for example, a content, content development for me, I'm not changing how it's done. Like that's just not happening. It's you were, those steps are not like, no, I'm not like, you'd really have to work hard for to get me to, to change my mind. But even if it was a good idea, I would have like, a lot of stress and I would yeah. push through Like I understand change, so I would push through well, it, but it would be hard. But that's an example of exactly how and why to do it. So you have a bunch of steps in your content development uh, process that are refined over years as best practices and they are responses to certain conditions and certain situations. So you're not going to just change them. You have people come in all the time and say, oh, why do you do this? Why do you do that? You should do it differently. But none of those people ever know the reasons why it's being done like that. So they're prescribing the medicine without understanding, without diagnosing the underlying illness. And that's always a mess. But if one of those underlying conditions changed, you would happily change your process to adapt. 
And I think what is the challenge here is that people are not realizing that the underlying conditions have changed. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. I was going to say, like, how can you think that people don't know that the underlying conditions have, have changed? And, I, and it's really the demographic change. Yeah. And it's because it's like, you know, the frog that will get, won't get out of the pot when it's slowly yeah. heating up until, you know, then it's boiling and it dies or whatever. Um, there's a way of saying that properly, but we're sitting in the same thing with climate change. We're just sitting here and it seems to be okay. So yeah. we'll just keep plugging it gets along. It's a little bit worse and a little bit worse, but you can adapt to those small changes. Well, that's yeah. the problem is that I don't want to adapting to the small changes and people have done that with pay and with um, mm-hmm. work environment and stuff like that with drivers you do it a little, you make these little incremental changes. But the problem is, is that it's not that the changes aren't going to really help that much when the whole system is shot. And that's always my fear is that, you know, is my whole, you know, is my whole system shot? Because if I ever had one of those realizations that, you know, my whole process of course development is just completely wrong. I don't think it is, but you know, at some point someone might come up with something that I just don't know about. And then I'm introduced to it and it's like, oh, yeah, this changes everything. Yeah. And then that would be, that would be a really bad <laughs> weekend. Oh boy. I would but can you imagine, could you imagine what it must be like where these companies have been going for 60 years and all of a sudden all of this change is coming in and it's not change where you can just, you know, add something to a truck. It is underlying base like foundational change where everybody is doing things differently and you have to adapt and oh my god it must be incredibly stressful that's all yes i would agree yeah it must be terrible um i'm not i'm i wouldn't be you know for example we had a similar thing when flash kind of got when, um, I don't know, was it like five years ago when... No, it was 10 years ago now. Is it 10 years More ago? Well, Flash, Adobe Flash was the default tool for creating interaction on the web for, they probably had f- 10 years. Yeah, I was going to say about 10 years. Yeah, in the early, the late 90s, it was emerging. And then in the early 2000s, everybody was using Flash animations all over their place. It was and on websites, it e-learning, it was, was everywhere. Oh, and the people had to, yeah, people were doing all it. kinds of complex things. I never like liked it. So we stayed away from it and only use it for very specific things where we really needed to, where we didn't have a choice. And then gradually other things came along. HTML got more advanced so that it could handle that stuff better. And then the iPhone came out with no flash support and they said, flash is terrible. We're never supporting flash. And forced everybody. Thank you, Steve Jobs. Yes, thank you for that. Is that it's bug riddled. It's got tons of security problems. It's a battery hog. It kills your CPU. We're never supporting it. And now Flash is essentially gone. Uh, it's still there as an authoring environment, but it's the output not is called, not a Flash. It's not called Flash yeah, it's not anymore. Even called that anymore. Thankfully, it's gone. But yeah, it was a huge change. We got lucky in that we had never relied on it, and we had already moved on long before it got killed. Um, so we weren't using any flash at all. Uh, but it was a huge change for the e-learning industry. Oh yeah. It, it, yeah. It was incredible. 
Because everybody was using Flash. That's what, I mean, you advanced when you got better at it. So, And a lot of these tool manufacturers had... Were based on Flash. Yeah, were really just front ends for Flash. Uh, and even with us, I spent a good few years just trying to get all the Flash out. Yeah. I And I had to learn new tools that yeah. I had never... I had never used before that were more movie oriented and or video oriented, which I could sort of use at a really basic level, but it took me a long time to make that change. Yes. And if I had to make that change with a lot of staff. Oh yeah. Oh, and process was, and. Cause all the processes change, like how we do audio and um, how courses are structured and how we do interactivity. That all changes when you don't have flash. Yep. Because Flash allowed you to put a whole bunch of things into a container. Yep. And you could have audio and video and like all buttons would, and you could have a page that had text and or an image or something like that. And then you could have a whole Flash thing that had its own little, you know, you could be taken into a whole other little world. And when you take Flash out, then everything has to be done on the flat page. And that's like way more. A way different set more. of challenges. It's a different way of thinking about how a course is laid out. It's a different way of, it's the same thing as what truck, the trucking industry has to do. You have to kind of go, okay, how are we going to do this now? Yeah. How are we going to integrate, you know, these different people, these different processes, this technology that's raining down on us every day, you know, with the threat of autonomous vehicles and Amazon and their drones and all of this garbage it's just like constant for the trucking industry. Well, even dash cams. How are we going to integrate dash cams? Starts off real simple. Oh, it'll capture the footage and prove that we weren't at fault. Great. But now you've got all this footage. So what are you doing with it? Yeah. Are you reviewing it? Oh, how do we build a coaching program around that? Uh, what is our process for reviewing it? Because we can't review all of it. So how do we handle all of that? Yeah, it's a lot of things that need to change. And those changes are good. So actually, I guess I didn't resist change when Flash happened. The Flash so change is good, debacle. but it's hard. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. Yeah. It's a, yes. It, should we end on that? I think that is a fine place to end. Okay. Change, change is, is good, good but, but it's, it's hard. hard. <laughs> and with that, we will wrap it up. Yes. Thank you very much for listening. And have a good day.